Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money radio show. I'm Matt Greer filling in for Chris Hill this week, and I'm joined in studio by Matt Argersinger and Jason Moser from Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio and Jeff Fisher from Motley Fool Pro and Options. Guys, welcome. Hey, hey. Thanks, Mac. Guys, Chris is sick, so we want to wish him a speedy recovery. And um, the latest email I have from him says that his kids think he sounds like a Lego Batman. Oh, oh. Wow. well, well that's actually pretty cool then, right? That is. That's actually how I think he always sounds. Right? I think I think he's got a great voice, and I think it got even greater. Lego Batman. So I think well, well, or it's better, you know, remember the in the Christian Bale when he was playing Batman in his voice? Yes. He was always like, we gotta go get them. You know, it was pretty, anyway. I mean, like, no, the, the Batman voice in the Lego movie was just epic. You, you, I mean, I think anytime less. you're associated with Batman, you gotta feel pretty good about that. Yeah, so th- there's an upside there. But anyway, get well, Chris. Um, on today's show, we got lots, lots to talk about. We've got earnings from Starbucks, McDonald's, Netflix. We have economist Russ Roberts talking about money and happiness and Adam Smith. You remember Adam Smith? Oh, yeah, 1776, mm-hmm. baby. There you go. And of course, we have stocks on our radar. But let's get right to the earnings news. The tale of two companies here. Starbucks reporting just huge earnings. Stock was up sharply. McDonald's, eh, more of the same, declining same-store sales. Stock not doing too well. So, Jason, let's start with Starbucks. Yeah, I mean, let's start with Starbucks. I mean, I think anybody who uh, thinks that maybe Starbucks is hitting sort of its its peak and, and the growth is slowing down, I think they better think again. I mean, this is a company that uh, has continued to just defy uh, expectations. It basically is taking those jokes of a Starbucks inside of a Starbucks bathroom and more or less just completely put them to rest. I mean, uh, it really is amazing to think about what they've what they've done so well. And I mean, with sales and, and earnings up considerably, uh, the drivers were more store traffic and higher average tickets. The reason why they're driving more store t- uh, traffic and higher tickets is because they they did a great job promoting the holiday offerings. They've added some new offerings to to the food side of the business, and food actually performed very well uh, this quarter with breakfast sandwiches growing thirty percent, new lunchtime offerings growing fifteen percent. So you know we've always harped on the fact that Starbucks has done so well. Without ever getting the food part really right, it seems like maybe they got something right this quarter. Uh, and, and then, really, it's it's just amazing to me to see the power of the Starbucks loyalty card, and in, in particular the mobile app that they've developed. I mean, hats off to Howard Schultz for having the the wherewithal to invest in this in such an early stage of the business because it's really paid off uh, in a big way. I mean, Starbucks has laid out the, the blueprint for for a retail mobile presence, and I think that you know there there will be businesses out there for years to come just trying to copy uh, what what they've done. One in seven Americans received a Starbucks gift card in the holiday quarter. And I didn't even get one, man, which I was kind of surprised. I thought I might get one. I don't think I got one. Did you? I did not, but that did is you? an amazing I'm, stat. I bought my brother one, so okay. there you go. Well, there, there's one. My brother was one in seven. Seven million average weekly transactions con- uh, uh, done via mobile uh, app this, this quarter in, in the U.S., Seven million average, and weekly. that's on the Starbucks app. Basically, right. you don't need Apple Pay. Yeah, they basically app is said well, better. 
We don't need it. And they also named a new president and COO? Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting. Uh, it's Kevin Johnson, I believe his name. He has a tech background, which I think is really, really good. You know, a, a little interesting a tidbit I pulled from the conference call yesterday was the word coffee was used 31 times. The word mobile was used 34 times. So they obviously know where the priorities are. Uh, but I think this is really interesting as to what this maybe uh, tells us about the future, because we know that COO Troy Alstead is taking a sabbatical. It doesn't sound like, though, he's leaving for good. Uh, you know, I can't help but think that maybe what this does is set the stage in the coming years. At some point, we'll see uh, Howard Schultz. He's 61. I think we'll see him step down maybe at some point and Allstead come back to fill in that role as CEO. And they'll have a well-established COO there in Kevin Johnson, who's been there for a few years, uh, in order to be able to, to help uh, the company continue its, its path forward. And Jeff, let's switch gears to McDonald's, a very mm-hmm. different story at McDonald's. Same store sales continuing to decline. Around the world, too. And this has been a long, ongoing problem at McDonald's, of course, as competition grows uh, in the U.S., but also around the world from the likes of you know, Chipotle, Panera, even things like Five Guys are mentioned now. But so many small franchises are, are growing and taking market share bit by bit with better quality food at, at competitive prices. So why go back to McDonald's for the same old thing? So they know that. So they they continue to try to retool their menu. They're dropping more items off the menu to speed throughput with customers and lower costs. And they're trying to appeal to the younger consumer out there. But it's a, it's a rough uphill battle. So the stock has gone nowhere for three years since late uh, 2011. Exclude dividends, the stock is down the last three years plus. And they're forecasting a weak uh, first half of this year as well. Problems internationally as well as U.S. Uh, it, it's they have a they have a tough road ahead of them. But how about the new ad campaign? Am I the only one who loves the new McDonald's ad campaign? I think so. Can you can really? you do the I jingle? What is it? it? I can't do the jingle, but I think this. I think the commercials are very. Why well, I get them confused? Because well, they, have you guys seen the new Droid uh, Android commercials? They, they, no. They're very similar to that. So I always think I'm watching an Android. It's you know little animated figures jumping around. A beard that. I don't know. I'm that's not good if you're McDonald's. If no, you're getting, well, but you're right. It's, I, I'm getting confused. Just on, on a side note, they do accept Apple Pay, and I love Apple Pay. I think it's a great format. Uh, but Starbucks, the reason Starbucks app is doing so well, it, it rewards you with the Starbucks stars. So you actually would rather yeah. use that when you're there than Apple Pay. It's interesting to watch this little e-wallet battle take yeah. place. Okay, so exit question here: Starbucks market cap of around 66 billion, McDonald's around 88 billion. Mm-hmm. Which company gets to 100 billion first? Great question. Oh, I, I would have to go with Starbucks. I mean, I think no McDonald's doubt. is facing mm-hmm. too many, too many challenges. I mean, I, as far as growth goes, I mean, they're not going to be, they're not going to witness those, those, those days of growth from from years ago. I mean, they're they're in a position now where they have to play a lot more defense, and Starbucks is in a tremendous position where they're playing just total offense, and and they're tackling it on all fronts. It's coffee, it's tea, it's food, it's mobile payments, and I mean, I think they're they're setting themselves up for some real success here in the next decade. So moving on to other earnings news, Netflix reporting uh, much higher than expected earnings. Stock was up sharply this week, and Matt, there's an international story here. Well, the, yeah, the the earnings we can go into the earnings. They were great. I mean, the 57 million subscriber number was was huge, for adding over four million subscribers in the latest quarter, predicting the same number, roughly the same number in the current quarter. Those are big, big numbers. Um, but the, yeah, the story here is certainly uh, Reed Hastings coming out and saying, you know, we're we're actually going to be done substantially with our international build out in two years, which 
seems rather quick and remarkable. But I mean, remember, it's just it's sort of just laying the groundwork. It's not like we're gonna, Netflix is going to be a huge established brand across the world. But the fact that he thinks they can be in over 200 countries, presumably by the end of 2016, or early 2017, is is remarkable. Um, and I love the in particular his quote here. Um, that he expects Netflix to be generating material global profits from 2017 onwards. Um, that I think that's compelling to it for a lot of investors because there's a lot of concern early on about Netflix spending a lot of money to, for, for their expansion, buying, a, you know, licensing a lot of content. There's just a lot of uh, capex that has to go into that, um, and the fact that he thinks they're going to be in a position to be, you know, materially global, globally profitable from 2017 onward. Um, in a way, it's kind of interesting. It's almost like the anti-Amazon here, right? Everyone kind of got on, gets on Amazon because they just. They're relentless in their, you know, decision not to produce profits. And here's Reed Hastings, a tech CEO, coming out and saying, "No, guess what? We're building out right now, but in 2017, we're going to be generating some serious profits." And I think that the market liked that. I think that's the reason the the stock was so strong this past week. And Jason, let's talk some Amazon here because yeah. Amazon um, big week. They announced plans to release 12 movies. Um, directly to the theaters. Yeah. Um, beginning this year, they're going to release twelve movies. Um, they also made an interesting acquisition. Yeah. So the movie side is is uh, is neat, I think, because they're they're focusing more on the the indie style movies, and so it's not these big Hollywood blockbusters that you see that that you know are produced for hundred two hundred million dollars or whatever. Um, these are going to be smaller, five to twenty five million uh, endeavors. And you know, I, I think it's it's interesting from a number of perspectives. But the, at the end of the day, everything I, I everything they do at Amazon, essentially, aside from the Amazon Web Services business, really revolves around Prime members. I mean, that's the point of all of this is really to to create a value proposition that is just too enticing to pass up and, and, and convince you that your Prime membership is really just a cost of living and, and you get a lot of value out of it. Now, they've they've done a great job with, with, with doing that. I mean, it sounds like they had a wonderful holiday season and signing up 10 million or more Prime memberships uh, just, just in that, that quarter alone. Uh, but I think this is just another way for them to play into the fast-changing uh, space as far as distribution of entertainment goes. And, and they need to figure out ways to get theaters on board with this. You remember, it wasn't all that long ago. Netflix is doing the same kind of thing with one movie, uh, Crouching, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I know that the theaters were a little bit uh, hesitant to, to give them that, that shorter window. But, but I think that your Netflixes and Amazons are going to continue pursuing this and convincing the theaters that really it is all about distribution and going to where your customers are and where they want to be. And, and, and as ticket sales are telling us, it's it's not always the movie theater these days. So I, I think that we'll continue to see this happening as, as uh, time goes on. And in regard to the to the chip acquisition, you know that's that's a chip maker uh, out in Israel. That uh, the the rumors of the deal around three hundred fifty three hundred seventy five million dollars. Uh, this plays right into the Amazon Web Services side of the business. This is something to to help their cost structure there uh, as they continue to grow that business out. And it's becoming very material. It's estimated it's going to bring in around six billion dollars this year in in sales. Uh, and and that will continue to grow as as time goes on as cloud computing continues to uh, to grow in popularity. And and Amazon is getting really the the line share of that market today anyway. And Jeff, let's talk some American Express. Fourth quarter profits up 15%. Um, that was better than expected. Yeah, the stock has been kind of a laggard over the last year, losing to the market. It has, Mac. It, it, it had an outstanding 2013 where it gained about 50%, and then all of last year it stayed flat, and now it's it was down a little bit on this week's earnings. The main concern is more competition on the high end of the credit card space, so the likes of Visa and MasterCard offering more kind of Amex uh, high-end loyalty cards. 
and uh, that leads to higher expenses or rebates to your customers. Uh, but overall, Amex is doing really well. Their charge-off rate is very low, record low. They're, they they grew, as you said, bottom line around 15% this past year, and I think they're still set up well to do to to do strongly over the long term. And finally, Matt, let's talk some eBay shares up this week in the wake of the company's earnings. What's the headline here? Well, the, to me, the headline is the marketplace business really struggled in the fourth quarter, which was a surprise. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts of the story right now. You got Carl Icahn. Who's joining the board? Um, you have a potential spin-off of their enterprise unit. Um, those are, I think, those are the reasons the stock was probably up this past week. But to me, I mean, if I look at the marketplace business, which was up one percent year over year, you got to remember eBay's a giant in e-commerce. E-commerce sales overall were up about sixteen percent by most estimates uh, for the holiday period. And here's eBay's marketplace business up just one percent. Um, I think that's really disappointing. Um, I think the company can't wait to spin off its PayPal unit and maybe see if it can turn some of those some of that new fresh capital into maybe some M and A. But um, overall, not not great results by my estimate. Coming up, Google, Delta, and the sweet smell of bacon. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Matt Greer subbing in for a sick Chris Hill this week, and I am joined by Matt Argersinger and Jason Moser from Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio and Jeff Fisher from Motley Fool Pro and Options. Guys, the news for Leapfrog just woof, keeps, <laughs> keeps getting worse. Um, shares fell after the company said that it expects to report a loss for the holiday quarter. Matt, is it that bad? Oh, I, well, here, here's how bad it is. Um, they are expected to, to re- when they actually re- um, release their results, the net sales are going to be about $145 million. That compares to their prior guidance of about $220 million to $240 million. And I'd say um, that's the highlight of that release, really. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it, was, it was dreadful. Um, and, and Jason, of course, knows um, we, you know, we issued, we decided to sell LeapFrog out a million dollar portfolio um, this week. We issued a sell recommendation. Um, and the, the day we did that, um, LeapFrog came in after the market and, and gave these really disappointing numbers. And, and the stock, I think, fell 30% or more. Um, yeah. So, you know, this what? is just one like, an example of a really just not well run company, certainly a company we don't think should be in the million dollar portfolio. It's their execution is horrible. There's no question there because they've been in this perpetual turnaround for a while. And it's not that they have. They don't make bad products. They make actually decent products. And they're making hardware and software. Well, yeah, they're making hardware and software. They're trying to make this pivot to content and more software, which is going to require you know a lot of R and D spend to pull that off. But they're facing this ever shrinking market opportunity, really, as as parents. You know, Leapfrog makes products that are really great for like you know maybe two, three, four year old, five year old kids. But from then on, parents are just making that leap to just your tablets, and so you have your Amazons and Apples of the world that are going in there with these, you know, great pieces of hardware. But but even more so, excellent app ecosystems. And I mean, just speaking as one who got my daughters those Kindle Fires years ago, there are just wonderful educational apps on those Kindles, and then they can use them to read, obviously, from the Amazon library. So they just face a really really competitive market space, and unfortunately, management just hasn't been able to execute that turnaround the way they wanted to. And Jason, let's talk about a company that's had a little more success than Leapfrog, um, Google. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit more. Google announcing this week that it's getting into the wireless business. It's going head to head with the likes of what Verizon and AT and T. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just a little bet on Google's part. It's called a mobile virtual network operator agreement. They just they're able to take some some surplus that these wireless providers have, and they can they can brand it and sell it. And it's gonna you know Google is is gonna have to take care of the customer service. 
on the billing side of this. But I think that what they're doing is trying to figure out more ways to get more internet into more people's hands. And you know, with the global domination really of the Android platform, it's it's not that dominant here domestically. I mean, Apple Apple is giving them a good run for their money. And so I think that this is a way for Google to try to get more Android devices out there. And uh, you know, it, it's not something that is going to make or break the company, but I think it's something that will give them a lot of insight into you know strategies they may want to pursue in the future. And Jeff, from the sexy world of Google to the less than sexy world of airlines. Now, I think a lot of us think airline stocks, and we think stay away. But airline stocks have had a nice run lately, and Delta having a nice run this week. That's true, Mac, and. and the industry has really changed before our eyes in recent years. We're down to four major carriers in the U.S. that that command about 90% of all domestic flight traffic in this country now. It's Southwest, American, Delta, and United, because we've seen so many mergers the past handful of years. Those four are now by far the leaders, and they're starting to price tickets rationally. Uh, they're Keeping supply, you know, restrained so that they have some pricing power. <laughs> Same pricing power along with airlines sounds wrong, <laughs> but so that they can maintain pricing at least where it's at. And now, of course, they're benefiting from much lower fuel costs. The fuel uh, for airlines, the price has gone down by half uh, since last summer. So all these airlines are are showing profits and expect to have a, a strong 2015, even if traffic remains flat. And finally, guys, our favorite story of the week, the New Hampshire State Lottery is now offering a lottery ticket that, wait for it, smells like bacon. The new tickets are scratch and sniff and read, I heart bacon. Does it get any better than that? Okay, so the New Hampshire Lottery comes to you and they say, we've had great success, but we've got to top it. Scratch and sniff. Oh, what smell are you going with, Matt Argersinger? Tough to top bacon, but you know when you, you you're on a flight. Speaking of airplanes, you get you're on a flight that the airline smell. You come off the flight and there's a cinnabon kind of like yes. down the yes. corridor and it's just wafting with. It, that's that kind of beats bacon. Jason, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I'd be hard pressed to really beat the smell of bacon, but if you're gonna make me do this, uh, you know, I I I love the smell of home on Thanksgiving Day with the Thanksgiving dinner cooking in the house. You walk in there and smell that? Like the turkey and the stuffing and everything that's in there cooking? I mean, to me, that's just a great that's a great smell. It gives you, you know, makes you, makes you yeah. feel good. That's great. Jeff? So the water rides at Disneyland and Disney World are reportedly one of the most popular smells in this country because they remind everyone, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, they remind you of your childhood. Very interesting. There you go. Okay. Well, there you go. I so, wonder if you can just go, like, uh, <laughs> throw a couple of little, you know, Clorox things. Right it's now. a small world. Smell out there and your kids just always reminisce. Uh, okay, happy. Matt, Jason, Jeff, we will continue the conversation later in the show. But coming up, economist Russ Roberts talks about his new book, How Adam Smith Can Change Your Life, An Unexpected Guide to Human Nature and Happiness. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Matt Greer subbing in for Chris Hill this week. Want to be happy? Our next guest says you need to think like the economist Adam Smith. Russ Roberts is the host of the award-winning weekly podcast Econ Talk, and he's the author of How Adam Smith Can Change Your Life, An Unexpected Guide to Human Nature and Happiness. Motley Fool CEO Tom Gardner recently caught up with Roberts, 
And Roberts began by talking about where the idea for the book came from. It's actually my agent got me to write the book about it. I was going to write a book about Adam Smith. So I wrote a proposal for that, and he, he said, oh, this isn't a very good proposal. It's not going to be a very successful book. He said, but there's one line in here that's really grabbed me. Wow, what's that? He says, the theory of moral sentiments is the best self-help book you've never read. That's a book worth writing. So that's what I've, I've tried to do. So can you give us just a flyby of who Adam Smith was, when he lived, how he lived, and then uh, just draw the distinctions between the wealth of nations and the uh, theory of moral sentiments. So uh, Smith lived in the 18th century, uh, sort of the middle chunk, 1723 to 1780, uh, roughly. He is considered the first economist, which isn't fair. There were a lot of people doing economics at the time, uh, what we would call economics. And the reason I think we think of Smith as the first economist, because he wrote a book, an inquiry into the nature and causes of the wealth of nations that was so extraordinary and so powerful and so insightful that people still read it today with profit. It's still worth reading. He has insights into, into life and into economics that are still worth reading. Uh, he's famous for a few things, uh, some of which you've heard of. He was a big free trader. He was a big arguer against mercantilism, the idea that we needed protectionism to be wealthy. He invented the idea of the invisible hand, although it's not really the way he wrote about it. The way we think about it now isn't quite the way he wrote about it. He believed in liberty, but he was not an anarchist. He thought there were a lot of productive and useful things the government could do. Uh, but he was a free marketer in general and in many ways... Uh, he made commerce respectable. So that's that book. But this other book, that's sort of a macrocosm book. This other book is a microcosm book. This other book is about how do we treat the people who interact, we interact with day to day? How do we treat the people we're seeing face to face? How do we treat our colleagues at work? How do we treat our family? How do we treat our close friends? And that world's all about empathy, sympathy, or lack of it. There's nothing about sympathy and the wealth of nations, and there's not much, there's self-interest in, in, in the theory of moral sentiments, but it's mainly how do, how do we overcome that? How is it that we sometimes do the right thing? How is it that we sometimes put ourselves second? Because everything inside us screams, me, me, me. And I think that's a very profound truth about human nature. And he takes that truth and he spins it out in a thousand different ways and he writes well. So I encourage everybody to go read the book. You can find it at econlib, econlib.org. There's no charge. You can search it there. You can find whatever you want. I read the entire book for no charge. Uh, but it might be slow going. So if you need some help, that's why I wrote my book. So I just want to um, toss out a couple concepts, Adam Smith concepts, from having read your book, since I have not read The Theory of Moral Sentiments or The Wealth of Nations. The first is The Iron Law of You, which you were yeah. kind of talking about. But The Iron Law of You, what is it? So I, this is not in Smith literally, but it's all through Smith, which is... You think of yourself as more important than other people, and you think about yourself a lot more than you think about other people. And so the example I, I think I give in the book, although I had a lot of other examples, some of them got taken out, is that, you know, let's say you apply for a job, you send somebody an email, and a week goes by, and two weeks go by, and you think, oh, they think I'm an idiot. They don't want to hire me. I have no chance. My email got thrown out. They're so uninterested in me, they didn't even respond to say, we're not interested. And I think we've all had that experience in life where we just sort of, you're thinking about it when it's your email that you sent looking for the job, you're thinking about it about every four minutes. <laughs> I wonder if, oh, check my email. I wonder if they wrote back. I wonder if they wrote back. Every time it's like, they didn't write back. They don't love me. They don't love me. But 
you forget they're busy. They're absorbed with their own nonsense, their own whatever it is that's absorbing them every four minutes. And so as a result, it's very easy to forget that you're not the center of the universe for other people. You're only the center of the universe for yourself. It's very hard to remember how other people look at you. Um, who is the impartial spectator at Adam Smith? So Smith gives us a method uh, to help us remember that we're not so important. And he doesn't give us this method to be nice to us. He thinks it's how we actually sometimes make decisions. So he says, when we try to decide what to do and we want to put ourselves first, the thing that stops us is being aware that what if somebody were watching, an impartial spectator, not my spouse, not my uncle, uh, not my uh, close friend, not my alter ego, not my good twin or my evil twin, but a stranger, a person who knew the facts of the matter and didn't have my self-interest in terms of judging whether I'm doing the right thing or not. So it's sort of like a little angel perched on your shoulder that you imagine is there thinking, hmm, I wonder if that's a good thing to do. So he says sometimes, so sometimes the impartial spectator will rein in your self-interest at the time, other times, it'll be an after-the-fact educational lesson. You realize, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. What I suggest in the book is use an actual impartial spectator at times. When you have a moral dilemma, when you have a situation at work, you have a situation in your family life where you're not sure what the right thing to do is, it's often a good idea to seek outside counsel. Somebody you trust who's not going to just be a yes person. And, oh, yeah, you're doing the right thing. But who's going to tell you, uh, I don't know if that's... Uh... Like, say you want to deflate the footballs before the game, just hypothetically. <laughs> and you say, well, I, you know, I don't think we're going to get caught. I know, but what, suppose someone were watching. Would it be a good idea? You know, that's an example to me where it, it's the wrong thing to do. I don't think it's why the Patriots won, but it's the wrong thing to do. Unless everybody does it already, they probably do. Don't you think? Isn't it like common, maybe? Because I'm hoping, maybe. So there's the interaction between the Iron Law view and the impartial spectator to, to counter that in Adam Smith's work. What about um, our desire to be not just loved, but to be lovely in Adam Smith's mind? What does that mean? So uh, Smith is very adamant, uh, again, surprisingly to some people who might not know his other work or who might have gotten a vision of Smith through a third hand, uh, Smith's very against the accumulation of wealth for its own sake. So here's a guy who writes a book about how nations get wealthy and, and we all think that's a good thing and get out of poverty, but he says, for you personally, he said the pursuit of wealth for its own sake, the pursuit of power, pursuit of fame, these are th ambition generally, he said these are bad things. They're poison, they're toxic. Try to avoid them. Because once you get on that treadmill, you can't get off. So that's what he says. Why do we want fame, power, money? He says, because then people pay attention to us. Not for what it does. This is, again, sort of a very alien idea to a modern economist, which I find very interesting. He says, money doesn't make you really happy. Having stuff doesn't really make you happy. The reason you like stuff is that people look up to you. They're impressed with you. They listen to what you have to say. When you walk into a room, they pay attention to you. That's why people pursue money, fame, and power. And he says it's a bad way to get attention. So he says man naturally desires not only to be loved, but to be lovely. Man naturally desires not only to be loved, but to be lovely. That's his one-sentence description of what makes us tick. So what makes us tick isn't money. And it's not power, and it's not fame. What makes us tick deep down, what drives us is the urge to be loved. And by loved, he didn't mean 
physical love or romantic love. He meant attention, honor, praise, respect. So he says we want those things desperately. That's what gives us true satisfaction. Not money, power, and fame, but respect, honor, and, and um, people paying attention to us. That's what we care about deep down. But we don't just care about that. We also want to be lovely, meaning not just love, but lovely, meaning we want to earn those that respect, that honor, and that praise through our actions, honestly. We don't want to be loved for something we didn't do. Now, what Smith says is because we want to be loved, we have this temptation. He says there are two ways to be loved. Pursue fame, power, and money, or pursue virtue. He says everybody is seduced by the glittering road, the, the, the fancy, impressive road of fame, power, and money. He said the quieter, better path is just to be a, a good person. And he said you'll earn the respect of the people around you, and you'll earn it honestly. Now, you could earn love through being rich, famous, and powerful, but what Smith says is it's hard to keep your moral compass when you're in pursuit of those things. And I think that's really the challenge of, of, of modern life, especially we live in such an incredible world where it's, it's not, there are many, many ways to, to make a lot of money. Uh, it's hard to keep money in perspective. It's hard to keep fame and power in perspective. And what Smith says is, if you're going to pursue those, you better keep them in perspective because they will, they will pursue you if you're not careful. Mm. So um, now that we have some concepts on the table, I, I hope I've earned the right to start asking some very unfair questions. Sure. So here's the first one. Um, you reference this in the book. So make an argument, if you're willing to play this game. Well, actually, a true argument, what you believe in and whether or not you think Peter Buffett or Warren Buffett has led a happier life because of what they've, choices they've made and what they've pursued. Yeah, so I give the example in the book. Uh, Peter Buffett wrote a memoir recently, Warren Buffett's son, uh, about his early life when he was, he was in college. And his father came to him and he said, um, I'm going to give you your inheritance now, and you can take it and do whatever you want with it. And I think it was 100000 90000 90000 In Berkshire stock, yeah. Yeah, so he gave him Berkshire Hathaway stock, 90000 Maybe it wasn't Hathaway. But just, he gave him some, some stock that was worth $90,000. And he said, you could hold it, or you can let it grow and let it grow, or you could sell it and do something else. And um, he thought about it for a while. Peter Buffett wanted to be a musician. And uh, he decided to sell the stock, convert it to cash, take the 90000 and with his father's help, create a plan for how he could make that last for a while, because a musician's career is a little bit uncertain. And he dropped out of school. He was at Stanford. He dropped out of school uh, with his dad's help. So he did that for a while, and he probably was about on the verge of running out of money and maybe would have gone back to school. I don't know what he would have done. I don't know if he writes about it in the book, but he, um, some neighbor mentioned to him that there was this new thing started called MTV, and they were looking for somebody to write some music for him, and was he interested? And he ended up doing that and being successful, and he's been a very successful musician. Um, he... Um, He's won, I think, is it, I think he won an Emmy. You've probably read the book more recently than I have. But he's, he's, he wrote, uh, he won, he, I think he wrote the score for Dances with Wolves. He's, he's had a very successful career, and he's financially, you know, comfortable because he's made money as a musician. Of course, if he'd held the stock, oh, baby, he'd be worth 
100 million. 100 million. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would have been a good return. So he had $90,000 worth of stock. And he didn't know that it was going to be worth 100 million, right? Couldn't know for sure. So he, there was uncertainty. But now we can, I ask in the book, we can look back on it and say, if he'd known that, would he have made the same choice? So I've, here's, here's, the, here's the choice. I'm going to give you a successful career doing something you love, which is really special. Most people don't get to do that. But there are even fewer people who get to have $100 million. So which, which would you choose? And um, Now I want to counter that or add the other, the story of the father, which I don't know if you've read Snowball or... Roger Lowenstein's book on Buffett, but essentially yeah. Buffett from a very early age was pursuing money. Yeah, oh, it, it's pretty it's pretty clear <laughs> that he is pursuing the accumulation of wealth. He's very numerical. He he kind of delights in seeing how the numbers will play forward, compounded out mm -hmm. in the creation of wealth. Uh -huh. But he's also doing what he he loves. Yeah. I mean, he's truly pursued a craft that we at the Fool, many of us pursue and are trying to help the world. Um, um, invest better, um, but but Adam Smith says if you pursue wealth for the sake of pursuing wealth, you you will not you will not end up happy for having made that decision. So so in the book, I argue that Peter Buffett made the right choice. That a hundred million is a small price to pay. It's a small thing to sacrifice to spend a meaningful life doing something you love and giving pleasure, by the way, to the listeners to your music and, and all those things, right? So that's my, my point. So I'm going to rephrase your question. Does that imply that Warren Buffett is a bad person, made the wrong choice, right? And that's a good question. Um, I think, again, I think it's a question of perspective. Now, I don't really know what Warren Buffett's like. I don't think very many people do. He has a very... I'm sure a carefully crafted public image to some extent, right? What can we say about him? He stayed in Omaha, which is very interesting, right? He didn't, he does, there are many people who move to New York or Paris or London in that world and, and flaunt it. He doesn't seem to be a flaunter. Stayed in the same home. Right? Seems to, raised his kids, seems like in a way that gave them some freedom and, and responsibility about their lives, like the story we just told. So he could be a very good man. I don't think, uh, and I think it's a very good thing as an economist, it's a very good thing to have resources flow to their highest valued use. Because to make give the world more access to wealth doesn't just mean more toys, it means longer life, right? So I don't, right, our lifespans have, have grown, I think, very much in response to the fact that we have more resources, not just good luck or good technology. Those all s flow from our underlying wealth. So I would never say anything critical about wealth. And, Adam Smith, he walks a fine line. He, he says some critical things about wealth, but again, it's mainly the pursuit of wealth. So I think it's, again, a question of perspective. The challenge is, how do you keep that perspective? So if you love numbers, and you love spreadsheets, and you love watching those numbers climb, you can tell yourself in the back of your mind, yeah, but I'm changing the world, which he has, right? Um, I think he's brought a lot of pleasure to people through that pursuit of numbers, not just by making them wealthy, although that counts, but also the fact that the businesses that he's acquired and run better have made the world a better place. So I don't, again, I don't think there's any inherently bad about keeping score with money. I think if you do that, though, you better be careful because you're likely... 
to be consumed by. Coming up, we'll share some stocks on our radar. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Matt Greer, subbing in for Chris Hill this week, and I'm joined in studio by Matt Argersinger and Jason Moser from Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio and Jeff Fisher from Motley Fool Pro and Options. Time for stocks on our radar. And guys, subbing in for Steve Broido this week is our very own Rick Ingdahl. Rick, are you ready? I'm no Steve Broido. <laughs> He's ready. He's no ready. one is. He's ready. No one is. Matt, what do you have for us? Sure. Well, uh, you know, a good buddy of mine, Aaron Bush, uh, on my Odyssey One team in Supernova, just got back from CES. And the one thing he said is that drones were basically everywhere, like just everywhere. Um, but the the consumer market for drones is, is not that appealing. Um, we own a stock uh, called AeroVironment, which is the leader in um, industrial and getting into in defense and, and getting into commercial drones. Uh, the ticker is AVAV. And I just think there's a lot of hype around drones, but when it, when the rubber hits the road, Air Environment's the one actually making money by, um, with drones. Rick, your question for Matt. A lot of drones have cameras on them. What's the next big thing to go into a drone? Oh, gosh. Uh, it'll have to be Starbucks delivery, for sure. <laughs> Jason? I saw an ad for a drone that was seen crashed by the Mexico-U.S. border with like a bunch of crystal meth. It was like a breaking bad. Oh, moment. man. Even wow. better than Starbucks. Maybe that's the next thing that goes into those drones. Okay, no, yeah, we're, uh, we're not endorsing that. No, absolutely not. Right. Okay. I just thought it was a funny story. Um, Alibaba, ticker BABA. I know this is one that uh, is still relatively new to the public markets. They have earnings coming up on January 29th. It'll be their second quarter they've reported. Um, I, you know, this is. I would shy away from you know little speculative Chinese small caps, but this is a this is a behemoth in 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 China. This is not speculative. I mean, this is a very well established business, very profitable business with a very long term focused leader in in Jack Ma. Uh, so I think that with with Alibaba, it's it's retreated back from its highs here recently. Um, but but I, I just I love the long term aspect there. I love the market opportunity. I love the tr- the long term trend in e commerce, and, and this is one that I think uh, has a bright future ahead. Rick, isn't that the one where you buy the company and you don't actually own the company? Yes, there are some there are some ownership issues, some corporate structure issues, and some transparency issues that the investor would have to come to terms with before considering investing in a Chinese company. Jeff, just a little time left. What's your stock? UPS. The shares are down about 9.5% Friday morning on a pre-announcement that earnings will miss expectations. The company is blaming their own pricing strategies, not package volume or revenue, but just their strategies, so they need to change them. I would think that lower fuel costs are really going to help them, in, in this year at least, if not the long run. So, I'm going to take a look at them and, and see what's going on there. Rick? Do you think UPS needs a fashion upgrade? Oh, those brown trucks are timeless, man. And and the brown outfits, yeah, timeless. I agree. Guys, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this week. The show was produced by Chris Hill, who, at least as of now, sounds like Lego Batman. And we all agree, <laughs> that is awesome. Um, Rick Ingdahl is the engineer and editor. I'm Matt Greer. We will see you next week.